As Bob said, my name is Erin, and today we'll be reading from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover, Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Uh, some familiar faces around, I can see from various other Trinity events and so forth. So wonderful to open up. The Bible on John 13 for our last in the biggest question series. I do hope it's been food for thought and good table discussions and workplace chats. And and then maybe you're here because someone's invited you the last few weeks and you finally made it to Trinity Church Mobbury. And thank you for coming. I know it's not easy walking into a church, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time. But if you're here and you're not a regular like me, uh, thanks for coming. Great to be with you to look at John 13. And look at this really interesting question, uh, that there isn't enough love and respect. And we're doing really well as a society, aren't we? I mean, just this morning I read an article that said Apple, the multi-trillion, yes, trillion dollar company now, is giving $100 million US in the next few months to work on um, racial equality around the world. It's pretty good. But as you can see on the screen, let's think about last year... Even this year, and I think you'll agree with our question, there's not enough love and respect. There certainly isn't. I mean, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, all the panic buyers, workplace diversity, Trump and Biden, the White House riots, land rights. This week, we, at the start of the week, we talked about Australia Day and Margaret Court and changing the date. The end of the week, we had the white supremacy guys up in um, the Grampians. The tennis players stuck in quarantine in Victoria for the last few weeks, mumbling and grumbling about that. The COVID vaccinations. 
what else would you add to that list, do you think? Where you see not, there's not enough love and respect. There's a quote from Voltaire, and maybe you've heard of it. He never said it, but it goes like this. I, I don't know who else said it. Everyone just says it's him, so you attribute it to him, right? He says, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend you to the death for your right to say it. Which sounds really nice, really nice today, except until you cross that cultural line in the sand, right? Sex, marriage, generosity, refugees, vaccinations, homeschooling, China. Suddenly you're then censored, you're thought of as unloving. And if you don't agree with someone, it's tricky to navigate, isn't it? How do you have a different view, yet still love and respect the other person at the same time? Today, I think we're not as likely to agree with Voltaire's assessment of tolerance. Rather, I think we'd opt for Leslie Armour. He is a professor of philosophy, or was, in the University of Ottawa, and he said, to be a virtuous citizen is to be one who tolerates everything except intolerance. There doesn't seem to be a space where I can have a view on this and disagree with you, genuinely, truly, still show you love and respect at the same time. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? But let's bring it closer to home, because it's not just the big news-grabbing headlines that you might have a chat about over coffee at the workplace this week. But there's not enough love and respect in our own lives. The pain of navigating a divorce, raising teenagers, when your seven-year-old starts to push against the boundaries, strained friendships, the inboxes you get that aren't very friendly, your OHS rules at work, which makes you grumble all the time. Or simply, you're just trying to make it through the work week, any week, in a COVID world, trying to work out how not to shake hands with someone and do it lovingly and respectingly. So with all that in mind, it's a lot to take in on a Sunday morning, I know. But with all that in mind, let me offer us a way forward today. Let's consider a piece of this love and respect puzzle that we often miss, because I think... That when we get this part right, it really truly does lead to more love and respect that you and me and society ever thought possible, right? I'm going to propose today there is a way to show love and respect more massive than anyone ever thought possible. And it all begins by considering God's vantage point on this. Now, what what I must be clear on is I'm not implying that there is no love or respect unless you know God. After all, Jesus says himself that you know how to give good gifts to your kids. A husband and wife who don't know anything about God or Jesus do love one another, sure. You go to work, you respect your boss, you love your friends. There is love and respect in the world, all because of God's common grace to us as humans. And we benefit from that. But this common grace is also a foretaste of redeeming, saving grace. A deeper, wider love that's seen in redemption and salvation on offer in Jesus Christ. A grace that forgives me and you, cleanses our hearts and changes us as humans. The difference is profound. And so when we talk about love and respect, I'm not implying there is none. I'm saying that in Jesus we see a fuller, greater picture There's this moment in Jesus' life as well when someone asks him, Jesus, what's the most important command? 
As in, what's the one thing I should throw my whole lot in life behind and focus on and go hammer and tongs at every day of my life? And Jesus gives one answer in two parts. Do you know what he says? The first thing he says is love God and then love others. Instead of just saying, love yourself and then love other people, Jesus says there's something greater, a greater love than either. A love of God. Why? Why would that be? Well, I think it's because a love of God motivates our love for other people. Say another way, to be loved by God, to love God means that the logical outcome is a love for all people. And the reason is so. It's because in Jesus, you and me finally have a frame of reference for love and respect. A frame of reference that sent Jesus to the cross. A frame of reference that sees such a great cost to to God in forgiving me. I'm now able to forgive, love, respect others all by that same saving grace towards me I can show to you. So, let's give some substance to that idea a little bit. Can a love of God really, truly increase our love and respect for others? Is that the solution to our problem today? So we're going to look at John 13 from our Bible reading. If you've got your Bible, still open it up. We'll walk through it. We'll make um, four observations and then two comments to finish about what this means today and the first three verses we'll start there we see a confronting scene and this sets up everything that's to come so twice in uh, verse one to three we read jesus loved his own he loved them to the end so he looks around the room and he sees the 12 men sitting around the table knowing full well mind you what they will do to him in a few moments. Some of them, like Peter, will publicly lie and deny they even knew him, three times, in fact. Ten of them, ten of them will run away in the hour of his greatest need and just skedaddle out of there, leaving him captured, as you will, by some Roman soldiers. And leaves one. And that's Judas. Look at verse 2. The devil had already prompted Judas... To betray Jesus. I mean, how do you love and respect someone when they lie about you, slander you, avoid you? Some of the most powerful human emotions come out in those moments, don't they? And my first thought is, to be honest, not often love or respect. But what John, the writer, is doing here is emphasizing that Jesus loves these 12 guys all the way to the end of his life, even when they are not loving or respecting him back, right? Moreover, in verse 3, we learn Jesus, unlike you and me, at this moment has the power and the authority to change this situation. He could influence this as the God-man like you and me never could. Verse 3, Jesus knew... The Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Father God had put all things in Jesus' power and he could control it. So naturally, you may expect when Jesus knows what will happen, he would stamp the devil out, he'd berate Judas, tell Peter, grow up, don't deny me, 
and give the others a stern talking to for running away in his hour of greatest need. Doubtless, we just don't expect him to go the other way, not mention it, bend down and wash their feet. You see, John's setting up this story right at the beginning. There can be no doubt. Jesus, fully aware of who he is, what he's about to do, what these 12 disciples of his are going to do. Yet in all the conflict, he loved them like he always had. That's why John says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And then how was his love expressed in this, this moment? And we have verse 4 and 5 give us seven challenging ways that we see Jesus' love come out here. It's all practical. One thing I love doing uh, with my wife is buying her flowers. And this year we've been married 14 years, but I haven't bought flowers as often as I should have bought them. Um, often I'll come home and I'll say, Natasha, um, I was going to buy you flowers today. I didn't because it's the thought that counts. And I've done that 14 years and every now and then I do buy flowers. And then two weeks ago, something happened and Tasha said, oh, Luke, it's the thought that counts right back at me. I went, oh, that hurt. Okay. And the next day I bought her flowers. You see here in this moment, it's not just the thought that counts for Jesus. It's the actions that accompany that too. So the first four things we see is having loved his own First four things, he rises from the mill, takes off his outer clothes, grabs a towel, puts it around his waist. This is Jesus adopting the outfit of a servant. Next three, he pours water in a bowl, bowl basin, washes the feet of his disciples and dries them with the towel that's wrapped around him. It's a self-emptying moment, right? One of those moments that you willingly become disrespected in your culture. He adopted this foot washing role in everything, in its entirety. The clothes, the basin, the drying, all to show the full embrace of what his love for them means. In Luke's account, just before this moment, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And then Jesus gets up and washes their feet. Now, now I admit, foot washing sounds strange. It really is not something that we ever do. I mean, hopefully you wash your own feet, but... You don't go around washing other people's feet. We don't have a good cultural comparison today for this. But we know from historical documents that a superior never washed the feet of someone else that was below them. Jesus, their teacher and Lord, would never, ever be expected to wash the disciples' feet. It was their job. No one liked the job. No one enjoyed doing it. You just had to do it. Dry, dusty roads, wearing sandals, you walk around all day, you sit down lying around a table at a mealtime, and it's just polite to wash the feet. But Jesus does it. A stunning display of love. A love that assumes this position of dishonor, disrespect, that embraces an undignifying moment. But not everyone gets it. Peter does not have a category for this kind of love, right? And I don't think, I don't think we have a category for this kind of love either, do we? We say love everyone, but there's always a limit. Peter's limit was this. Then it gives way to a confronting uh, conversation in the next few verses, 6 to 11. Peter's embarrassed. He's uncomfortable. He does not like Jesus washing his feet. And he says, Lord, will you wash my feet? Verse 6, 
The implication is, no, don't, you shouldn't, no way. To which Jesus says in reply, you don't get it. And his words are almost prideful, aren't they? I mean, like a forced sense of uh, humility. Like, you must let me, or else, you know, let me, Peter. But if the symbolism is allowed to come out, Jesus, the Jesus intends, and it all makes sense, because the foot washing is a picture of what's about to happen on the cross. When Jesus will wash away sin, guilt, shame... And as he said to Peter, you can have no part with me unless I wash you, so too you and me can have no part with Jesus unless we are washed by his blood. The barrier between you and God, me and God, our sin needs to be resolved, and that happens on the cross. And Peter doesn't see that in this moment. He doesn't get that. He's still thinking culturally, socially, but what he does understand is he wants to be a part with Jesus. He wants Jesus in his... I want Jesus. And Jesus, if I have to jump in the tiny bowl in all the dirty foot water at this moment, I will do that if you say I have to have a bath. He doesn't, thankfully, because that's not the point. Because Jesus then goes on to explain what this is all about, the ongoing significance of the foot washing, and he gives one challenging command to not only Peter, but actually all the disciples here. So he finishes, he wraps, takes off the towel, sits back down or lies down, and He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. What's remarkable is Jesus reminds them of his position and his authority, right? He says, I'm your teacher and your Lord. He doesn't use his authority for his own gain, but uses his authority to serve those around him. This means he gives up his rights. First in the incarnation at Christmas, we remember Jesus born as a man, the God-man. And now as he goes to the cross, in this undignifying moment, the position of someone who serves and loves those around him who, who are not deserving of love and respect, right? In any way. And this is the unique category breaking Way of Jesus, of of lordship, authority, service, humility, lofty claims, and lowly conduct, said one commentator I read. Do you remember the scene in Pretty Woman? When she goes to the shop, she doesn't look the part, and the shopkeepers look down upon her. And the next day she comes back, and she's got expensive clothes on, hundreds of bags in her hands, into the same shop that the previous day rejected her and said, go away, we don't want anything to do with you. And then she says, big, huge mistake. And then walks out smiling and they're shocked because, you know, she spent all the money. Other shops, not theirs. You know, I was was thinking of that because I think that's how you and me do respect most days, isn't it? If you don't look the part, I won't give it to you. I've often heard people say, show me respect and I'll show it back to you. But do you know if God treated us that way, Jesus would never have been born. He would never have died. This moment would never have happened. Because the amazing grace of God in Jesus is that while we were still undeserving, enemies, in fact, of God, Paul would later write in Romans chapter 5, that God shows his love for us in that Jesus died for us. Not because we deserved it, we were worthy of it, not because we respected and loved God in return, but simply for his love for you and me. 
and moreover, by the, by the grace of God, Jesus then tells us in verse 15, this example of his is to be the dominant mood in our community. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. That attitude I had, Jesus said, yeah, have that for others. And that's why a love of God has to come first. Flavoring a love of people. You see, Jesus is not saying like Helen DeGeneres does at the end of every episode, be nice. He's saying love. Love by putting yourself in a position of disrespect. Love from the point where I'm willing to die for you to wrap my arms around Judas and Peter and all 12 of you who will deny me and run away. Love from that position. Love from a culturally shocking point of view because it uplifts others. Love already cleansed. Love already forgiven, already satisfied, already accepted by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Love not to get anything back. Love not to boost your reputation or feel good about yourself, but simply love like I have loved you for their benefit and the glory of God. Which means the one challenging command, of course, is to love as Jesus loved. To be willing, even, to be disrespected and dishonored if that's what's necessary. And so that's the example of Jesus on love and respect. And what I want to do now is see if we can summarize this, tie up the loose ends, and give us two points as a way that we could move forward today with the problem that there is not enough love and respect. I have two points. Firstly, is all about belonging to Jesus because this event points us to his death on the cross, which means only by the grace of God being forgiven by Jesus Do we have any hope or source of life or ability to love this way, to belong to Jesus? And secondly, the challenge is to behave like Jesus because his love is our reference point and power to love and serve all people. So first one, to say it again, there is an order and a way of love that Jesus shows us. Love God, then love others. Embrace the love that God has for you so that you can love others. That's what his point when, when Peter objected No, no, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. John 13, verse 8. You know, being confronted with the Jesus Peter didn't like or expect was a a handbrake moment in his life. But to stop Jesus was to deny the love and forgiveness he himself needed. And maybe today, maybe all of January you've been here and and the handbrake of your life has slowly been pulling up to as you've heard week after week about who this God is and who Jesus is, the claims that he makes. That Jesus has been confronting you, maybe today, with the reality, the problem, with not being enough love and respect isn't out there. It's in here. And the solution begins with each one of us before God. Because you see, Jesus loves these 12 men. Loves them to bits, in fact. That's why he became incarnate, like us, yet remaining God, loving to the point of death, to forgive and be our Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, he asks us to stop living our way and start living with him as our Lord, with his mouth as our Lord and Savior. And so maybe you need to pause and reflect and think, what does that mean? What are those claims? I've heard them week after week. And if you'd like to know more, then 
Next Monday, not tomorrow, but the 8th of February, there is a life course starting at Zido's at Tea Tree Plaza. And please, if you'd like to explore these claims of Jesus more, then come along to that life course. But maybe you're here, flip it now, go the other way. Maybe you're here and you agree with Jesus. He is your Lord and Savior, right? Well, if that's you, can I ask you something? Will you take Jesus' command seriously here? And behave like him? Some great teachers around. I'm sure you've all got fond memories of a high school teacher, primary school teacher, university lecturer, or someone else who really got behind you when you learnt something well. I hate maths, absolutely despise it. Um, But in year nine, for one semester, I had the best teacher. I got 98% for that semester in year nine maths. And she was brilliant. She just just knew how to explain concepts. And I I got her. I did well. And then she got promoted and I just bombed out. And and, uh, by year 11, I think I could stop maths and I got rid of it as quick as I can. It just never came to me. I still struggle with it. But a good teacher walks with you. They, They instruct you. They guide you. They're good at doing that, right? And Jesus was a teacher. He did those things. But at the same time, he is Lord. And that means he not only teaches, but he commands. A Lord asks for obedience. And so Christians, we look to Jesus as our teacher and our Lord, a teacher to instruct and a Lord to command. That means we let Jesus, we should let Jesus mold and shape our views. And there's going to be some shock at that. It's going to be pointy and hard at times. We, we will feel like Peter. No, Jesus, don't do it. I don't like it. You can't. Because Jesus will teach uncomfortable, unfashionable things. But he's not doing it for shock value. He doesn't, he just, it's not doing it just to be different like Joe Rogan does on his podcast or anything. He'll confront us, challenge our very identity, sexuality, generosity, priorities, who we are as a person. Because Jesus is here to undo a structure and a kingdom that can't support the weight we place on it. The kingdom of you and me. Our sins do need forgiving. Jesus is Lord, not us. We do have ideas that don't square with God's understanding of life. He's not teacher, he's Lord, and he can command new life and priorities. Just remember, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Thank you, love. That's what Jesus creates in us by the Holy Spirit. The gospel says you can't do it. Jesus says, I know, I can, I have. Will you let me? It's interesting that today, for good reason, today it often seems like the victim always gets the loudest voice. That if we've been disrespected in any way, that you must love me back and give me enough airtime to tell you how I feel about that. And there's a good thing to do, right? We should have safe spaces where we can talk and air our views and actually be heard. That's very important. But you know that having the loudest voice as a Christian for what we believe in Jesus and God, that's not necessarily the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus knows life isn't fair, so he bows down and washes the disciples' feet. He serves to make it better. What I'm saying is that as Christians, we don't need worry if we have the loudest voice at all, if we have rights or if it's fair. It's actually not important. Jesus shows us love and respect do not depend on winning the cultural narrative. It's about taking his command seriously, washing the feet of those around us like Judas and Peter. 
Dominic Steele is a pastor in New South Wales. He worked at the Sydney Morning Herald before planting a church. And while he was at the Sydney Morning Herald, he started a Bible study there. And after a number of months of, of him and other Christians meeting together, reading, praying, a woman asked him, Dominic, can we grab a coffee? Sure, he said. And they went out for a coffee. And, and he tells a story that she started to tell me things which were very personal. Things which I thought, I, I don't know you. I've seen you at the water cooler. But apart from that, why are you sharing such intimate things with me? Details of your life. Anyway, he said, I said, well, I, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. I'm honored. But why would you tell me? I don't know you. She said this. Well, I don't hear you talking or gossiping about others. So I thought it would be safe to talk to you. In a culture that's so loud, so vocal, desperate to be heard. I think Christians should be the safest people to be around. To hear, to listen, to love, to respect, to offer often gentleness and grace in abundance, all because Jesus has given it to us. And I wonder, maybe our evangelism would be more effective if we were like that. As Jesus said in verse 17, blessed are you if you do these things. So my call is, would you be willing to live that way today? To live a steady, slow burn of a life that comments differently about life, that shows love to people who are not like you, that thinks through what that means when it's hard to do so. For example, this week, hearing about the Grampians guys up there, the white supremacy. I went for my run this week and I thought I would find it really hard to love someone like that because I wouldn't feel safe around them. That's just the feeling I get, right? How do I love and respect them? Haven't figured it out yet. But by God's grace, he calls me to think that way to then act that way. Would you understand the gospel of Jesus is the only way that allows for someone to utterly betray us, disagree with us, not be like us, hurt us, protest against us as a person, and yet kneel down and wash their feet. That's the love the world needs to see. This is the way forward, I think, to the problem of there not being enough love and respect. Because Jesus came to address the problem, you and me, to give his grace, to give his life so we can live differently. So then, we're finishing this. Over coffee today, as you chat to people, maybe you could ask someone or think about what area of life do you need to show more love and respect in? What is it for you? Be different for me, different to you, but there's an area, I'm sure. I asked the question at Grove two weeks ago to someone and he said, um, the guys at work that are under me, he's the boss of, of um, uh, the IT department and he said, I just they frustrate me because I don't know how to use IT often. And, and he had to give someone their first ever mobile phone because of COVID last year and teach them how to use a mobile phone. He said, I just drives me bonkers. I don't, I don't often love or respect them. So, and so that week I said, oh, I'll pray for you. Maybe you'd do that too, that you'd hear what someone would say and then commit to praying for them this week. Why don't we pray? Our great God, we thank you that while we we're still and are sinners. You've shown your love for us in Jesus Christ that he'll be willing to live and die, not just to show us an example, but to be our Lord and Savior. And that this love and respect that you've shown us in him is how we get reorientated 
and have a reference point to true love and respect for other people. And so Jesus, do your work in our hearts today that we would walk away knowing that you do love us to bits and call us to love others too and respect them. And Father, while that's hard, you give us all the grace we could ever need. Your spirit is indwelling all of us who love and trust you. And so Father, I thank you for that. Comfort us as we go into our week seeking to honor and glorify you above all else. May you be given the glory. Amen. Thank you, guys. And thank you, music team.